I was reflecting, and I, I think after the fact, I might go on this journey um, to try and find it just for funsies. Um, the very first teaching I ever did at Timberwood Church was on Acts chapter 2, um, and it was probably terrible. So I would love to go back, and I showed a video clip of Monsters vs. Aliens um, to try and articulate what the Holy Spirit is like. I'm not sure it really landed very well. I thought it was brilliant. Um, yes. So we're going to watch a movie. I made popcorn because uh, you can't watch a movie without popcorn. Just kidding. Um, so I'd love, I'd love to go back and hear, uh, hear what I had to say. Maybe after this um, we could dig it up out of the old archives. Last week I had some decaf coffee and I didn't sleep well, so no decaf coffee tonight. All right, let's pray. And then uh, those who are waiting in the wings. I was caught up in the, all the, the fellowshipping that was going on out there. And, and I was like, we got to go. I don't want to do that. Okay, let's pray. Holy God, we come to you tonight. And we, uh, we thank you that this room is a place where we can gather and we can open your word together and we can hear from you through your text and through your spirit and through each other. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, fall on us and immerse us with your presence tonight as we try to understand more fully who you are and how to live into this thing called the life of Christ. And so be with us tonight and be with our conversations. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Acts chapter 2, here we go. Uh, t- I also have to admit today was the um, first day of my life that I realized that Pentecost um, means 15, or 50th, means 50. Pentecost means 50. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit in its name. 50. And I was like, well, duh, the Pentateuch is five, five books. Why wouldn't, and I was just like, my mind I had to clean off my ceiling in my office because my mind was blown. So uh, when the, the day of 50th, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. We were Acts chapter 2. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up by the hands, or God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers and sisters, I may say to you, with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him what, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received... From the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. 
So here we are. Who was a little stressed about the, the length that my tea bag was sitting in the hot water as I was reading? Anyone? Just me? Like the intense flavor. So, Jesus has told the disciples and those that are um, the apostles and the disciples, those who are following him, that they should wait in Jerusalem for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that the time between Passover and Pentecost, the, the festival of the weeks, is 50 days. That's why it's called uh, Pentecost. And so these people either stayed in Jerusalem or maybe they hadn't traveled to Jerusalem until this time to offer up their sacrifices. You didn't get to offer up your sacrifices except any place uh, but the temple. And if you remember back to the Old Testament, what happens to the Jews is they are dispersed throughout the region. So depending on who came in to overtake the Jewish uh, area, the promised land, they would either enslave them locally or they would send them out to uh, areas, regions throughout the area so that they were not all together and could not come back and, you know, say, fight against the Assyrians in the 7th or 8th century. And so these people are living in outward regions beyond Jerusalem, beyond Israel, beyond the promised land. That's why we get this list of where they're living. But in order for them to come back, they have to travel back to the temple so that they can offer the sacrifices. Because they're Jews, they're just not living in the promised land. It's like they were displaced, they were dispersed, they realized, hey, I kind of like this area, decided to stay there. And it's much like if you were an American who, let, like, let's say you served in the military overseas, and let's say you're living in Germany, and you're like, hey, I kind of like this German culture, love the bratwurst, love the sauerkraut, which was actually made by the Chinese originally. Fun fact. Chinese created sauerkraut, if you're wondering. And so if you live in Germany, but you speak English, you're probably going to learn German. And so these Israelites that are living in these far-off lands, say Egypt or wherever, they're learning the local language, but they're retaining their Jewishness because they are, in fact, Jews. So they can speak Hebrew, can hear and listen and understand Hebrew, but they can also speak other languages. So they've traveled back to the city to celebrate the Festival of Weeks. And the great day of anticipation has arrived. All uh, the disciples are together, and it's not just the 12, it's about 120 of them, and voila, here comes the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting as we think about the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and as John talked about on Sunday with the Word of God, the breath of God, this idea of God breathing out His Spirit. Spirit and breath in Greek are the same. And so we see the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, coming upon these people. As we talked about last week, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this complete immersion of the people in the Spirit, and we see these tongues of fire. It's this like fantastical vision of what's happening. And they are given this ability to speak freely in other languages. Well, what happened at the beginning of Luke? Okay, we're talking Luke, Acts together, one book. The beginning of Luke, what happened to somebody's tongue? It was tied. So See the interesting fact that at the beginning of Luke, Zechariah is tongue-tied. He cannot speak. And then as we move into Acts, there is the opposite of being tongue-tied. 
they are given the gift of tongues or the ability to speak uh, in other languages. So the Holy Spirit comes and it fills this whole place and it fills this whole people and they are allowed to do this thing. Now the question becomes, as we talk about this um, event, the question becomes, what is happening through the tongue event? Because um, we get into this interesting conversation around speaking in tongues. And for some of us, it's very comfortable. Maybe we grew up in a tradition where speaking in tongues was a thing, and it was a very important thing. And so we've been around other people who speak in tongues. Most often the case in that event of speaking in tongues, we are thinking more of when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and talking about the gift of tongues and this angelic utterance of tongues, and that is not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is a very specific thing because uh, Luke tells us, gathered in Jerusalem is all of these people who are Jews or they have converted to Judaism or they are God-fearers. Ironically, uh, to, become a, a <laughs> to become a proselyte, you had to go through the full Jewish conversion. And so uh, one commentator mentioned that there was a lot more women that were proselytes and a lot more men that just retained the God-fear label. And all the men said, can I get an amen? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I love this Judaism thing. You know, like meatloaf, I'm just not going to do that. Okay, so I'll just remain a God-fearer. And so they all are starting to hear their language being spoken. And notice, what is it that they say? They're like, how in the world could this, these group of people be speaking all of these different languages? Because, in fact, what is the, the, the knock that is given to them? They're Galileans. It's like, that person can't sound that smart. They are, in fact, from Bacchus. Hey, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just trying to make the... I'm not saying that by any means. No, I'm not. I'm trying to make the point that they, they are making this statement about these people because there are people... When I first moved up here, there's this derogatory statement, which is not true, about people that live in different areas. It's like, oh, they're from Wisconsin, you know? It's like well, growing up, we would say, what is the N on the, the helmet for Nebraska? Stands for knowledge. <laughs> right? <laughs> so you're like, I've never heard that before. Genius. God, I so know what that means. Because we have this human condition to look down on other people. They can't be that smart because they're from a certain region. And so to them, it's like, oh my goodness, it's not the miracle that I'm hearing my language. It's also who I'm hearing it from which was what we talked about, right? When Jesus starts his ministry, people are like, how could Jesus be who he is? Because where, in fact, is Jesus from? Nothing good comes out of that place. And so how could Jesus be so important? And so all these people, they're hearing these languages all come out of this one area, and they are more than intrigued. And so they are amazed and astonished. And so they come together, and they're hearing their languages. And what are they hearing? 
they're hearing about the mighty works of God. And so what does Jesus tell the disciples that they are supposed to do? Witness, thank you, yes. Uh, they are to be witnesses to what God has done in their life. And so they are, in fact, doing that, and they're doing that in this amazing way by spontaneously being able to speak these other languages. And so when we talk about this utterance of tongues in this event, it's not, uh, it's not the exact same thing that's happening when we talk about Corinthians and the gift of speaking in tongues. Yes? Well, uh, so the question is, what is happening? So is it that they're taking turns monologuing, or is it, you know, like a, a great big Italian or Greek family gathering where everyone just talks over everyone else, and you're like, why aren't you talking? It's like, well, there's no reason because everyone else is talking. Um, the, the picture that we get that Luke paints is they are gathered together in this room, and they start speaking what seems to be in this room. And so is it the case that they're speaking all at the same time out the window? Like we don't really have a clear picture of what's happening. But certainly uh, if you were in an area and you see fire coming out of the sky, it might draw your attention. I mean, just p potentially you're like, what's happening over there? And as you approach, uh, you're like, Okay, what's happening? Sounds like a lot of different languages. Oh, I recognize that one. Um, we don't fully know, Russ. But it's an interesting picture of how big is this, for one thing, how big is this room? Where is this room located? What caused the commotion? What caused all of this? Obviously, the, the tongues of fire coming out of the sky was kind of a big thing. Um, but then they, the, the, what they're perplexed by is not only the languages that are being uh, spoken, but also what they are saying. And they're testifying to the mighty works of God. And we don't exactly know what that means, other than they're witnessing to what God has done. And they're doing it in a language that is not uh, their own. And so some people respond, and they're like, um, could you help me understand what's happening? And other people are like, these people are, in fact, intoxicated, right? Natural occurrence. Uh, if you experience this, certainly they must be intoxicated. Peter, sa Peter stands up, and he has his first major speech of Acts. Now, if you remember back to the end of Luke, where do we see Peter at the end of Luke? He's a, yes, he is in this place of shame. He has denied Jesus. He is devastated by what he has done and how he is, in essence, crumbled under the opportunity to witness. And he, he kind of disappears at the end of Luke. He comes back. And he comes back in a major way. Because remember, Jesus says to Peter, you are going to be the rock on which I build my church. And so Peter thinks, I have blown it. I have screwed up. I'm beyond restoration. How is it that God is going to restore me? 
And so we see Peter coming back and coming into this place where he experiences restoration by this first speech. Let me back up. The whole tongue thing. One thing that I uh, want us to be thinking about, and we've kind of started planting the seed and talking about this a little bit, um, is for, for some of us, as I mentioned, we, we have various experiences around speaking in tongues. And so when we have an engagement with somebody who has a differing opinion about speaking in tongues, we can um, allow our past history to inform our present uh, function in the conversation, and it doesn't typically go well. And so as we come to these conversations, uh, the encouragement that I want us to have is how do we come uh, with curiosity and compassion to other people's perspectives around things like speaking in tongues. Because speaking in tongues is not a salvific issue. Like whether or not we speak in tongues, it doesn't matter in our eternal salvation. And so we can all hold slightly different opinions about speaking in tongues, and we can all acknowledge who Jesus is because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ if we worship God and follow Jesus. And so how do we come to a conversation with somebody we don't agree with on a subject like tongues with curiosity and compassion? Because maybe it's the case that we just grew up in a particular tradition where speaking in tongues was not a thing. Or it wasn't just not a thing, it was a pejorative. Or we've had various experiences where it has left a less than stellar taste in our mouth uh, around speaking in tongues. So Peter goes on and he gives this big speech. Now there's going to be, as I mentioned, multiple um, speeches between 16 and 19, depending on how you parse them out um, in Acts. And there's going to be many repeat themes that keep coming up about uh, throughout these speeches. And so uh, what happens here, it seems to be the case that we have shifted, going back to Russ's question, we have shifted location because how in the world do you have this speech with this many people uh, because we, the number we get at the end is 3,000 that actually uh, came to, to faith in Christ. Certainly there was more than 3,000. Did this move to the temple? Did this just move to the streets? Great question. We don't know. But it certainly is not in the upper room. And so he stands up and he starts talking about Joel. Now, again, the people he's addressing are either Jews by birth and lineage or they are converted people to Judaism, whether they're fully converted or whether they are just under the God-fearing label. So he goes to the prophet Joel, which is a Jewish prophet. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, Joel chapter 2, and he starts quoting from Joel about what life is going to be like kind of in this end times vision. Because after the resurrection of Christ, we have moved into this new era, this new epoch of time, which is the end times. Like, we say it as a joke, but we're closer today to the end of, end of things than we were yesterday. When's it going to happen? We don't know. Jesus told us last week, last week, 
uh, that we aren't supposed to know the time. So just acknowledge we're in those times. What is that time going to look like? In the last days, it shall be like this. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then there's these things of prophecy and visions and dreams. And again, pouring out of the spirit. And who's it going to fall on? It's going to fall on young men and old men and young women. And it's going to fall on male servants and female servants. And they're going to prophesy and have dreams and visions and blood and smoke. And oh my goodness, it's going to be intense. And it's happening right now for them. The, the Spirit has just come, and Peter is saying this is what is happening. The fulfillment of Joel's prophecy is starting to come into uh, focus. Now, it's interesting. Again, um, I don't know if this drum is completely worn out, so we just keep, because Scripture has it in there, we're just going to keep uh, going with it because it's right there. When we believe that women don't have an important role in the church, we don't read the Bible. What are the women doing? They are offering prophecy. Kind of an important thing. There is a big section of the Old Testament that is all prophecy. Women function as prophets. Women function as leaders in the church. And it's not just particular people. It's not just particular women. It's not just an age. It's not just a race. It's not just a class because there's uh, servants that are doing these things. And and there's going to be these signs and these wonders. And we're like, what is it going to look like? Like, what are the signs and the wonders? You know, is it when we have this eclipse? Like, there's a sign right there. Or is it the case that we know that it, that happens when the earth and the moon and the sun and all that happens? Is that a sign? What are these signs and wonders going to look like? What are these visions and dreams and prophecies going to look like? Great question. And for some of us, because it becomes this point of confusion, we just reject it as, well, that was then, this is now, that doesn't happen now. And for other people, it becomes this like, overly abused, obsessive thing where uh, um, God has given me a word for you. And that word is, um, what is that word? Who Depends on who it is. Where's Galen? Uh, yes, that is it. There, I was waiting. I was waiting for the Spirit. God has given me a word, and we need to trade vehicles. Not the one that's here, my 490,000-mile Yukon. It still runs. God has given me that vision. And, and so we need, to, we need to make that happen. So there is this extreme of, you know, God giving me these visions. And, and oftentimes those visions are um, very self-focused. Uh, you know, going to a Christian college, there was inevitably, or working at Christian camps, Inevitably, there was an individual who would go to another individual. 99.9% of the time, it was a male going to a female and saying, God has given me a prophetic word that we are to be married. No, he hasn't. No, he has not. (laughs) 
And so we have these two polar opposites of like, you know, everything is a vision from God and nothing is a vision from God. And then something is probably in the middle because we know there are instances, I certainly know there are instances in my life where God has used other people to speak to me about things that he would like me to do. For instance, I was working at Bethel um, as a (laughs) security guard. Um, I was like the anti-security guard, but anyways. uh, And I had gone to lunch, and I was leaving lunch, or I was going to lunch, and Tom uh, Wigan and Joel Lawrence, uh, professor, pastor, friend of mine, they were leaving, and Tom Tom had gone down there because Timberwood was looking for a community life pastor, and Joel looks at Tom, and he points to me, and he says, that's the guy you should hire for that job. I didn't want to work at a church. I didn't know where Timberwood was. I didn't even fully understand where Niswa was on the map. (laughs) And so I, I had reached out to Joel for something else, and he said, I think that you should look at working at this church. And I was like, oh, God. If it wasn't the third person that had said something to me about it, I was like, okay, fine, God, fine. And so how is it that God chooses to work through other people to speak his truth into our lives? Oftentimes, we don't necessarily want to hear it. That's a different thing. And many times, it's multiple instances where somebody, God is using people to speak prophetically into our lives about serious and significant things. And it's not the, oh, this benefits me, and so God has given me this vision, like the instance where Galen's going to, we're going to trade keys later. (laughs) It was just this vivid dream last night. You were sitting right there, and you're just like, Eric, I want to give you my vehicle. And I was like, if you, okay. (laughs) I guess. I don't really want to give you my Yukon because I love it. But if God wants it to happen. So what do we do with this? Because we so often put prophecy and visions, and we talked about it in the Old Testament when we were going through Judges. What do we do with visions and dreams? And what do we do with prophecy? Because Peter is saying, this is what's going to happen now that the Holy Spirit is breaking through. And then he goes on and he talks about who Jesus is, and he has these very important and essential comments about who Jesus is. And he says something also um, so important. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So, I know we talked about this. Uh, We've kind of had some, using fun in kind of a loose way, (laughs) fun conversations around who killed Jesus. And Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he makes this declaration that the reason why Jesus was crucified was because it was the plan of God. In essence, it's no one's fault that Jesus is crucified because it is, in fact, the God's plan so that we, humanity, can be restored to him. Therefore, there is no blame that is being placed. 
the challenge becomes, as we're going to continue to talk about, what do we do with this phrase, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men? Is this an accusation that he is making to the Jews? Because he says it again uh, right in 36. Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, is that an accusation or is it a statement of fact? Because if it's an accusation, he is coming down on the Jewish leadership as if they are to blame for Jesus' death. If it is a statement of fact, he's trying to point out to them that God had this plan and you, Jesus was crucified, but we have this opportunity to come to faith in him because he is, in fact, been resurrected. Because who is this Jesus? Remember, these people have not been living in immediate Israel. The people that he's talking to have not been seeing Jesus out and about around the Sea of Galilee. They've been off in distant lands. They have probably heard about him. You know, there's this reference to the, the Jews or proselytes that are living in Rome. They aren't seeing Jesus. They aren't seeing the miracles. But in fact, Peter is saying, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of these things, the Messiah has come. Those of you who didn't get to experience who Jesus is, the apostles, the disciples have testified the mighty works of God in their own language. And now Peter is drawing it into this moment where he's saying, everything that you've been waiting for, he brings up David, the importance of David. And he takes the words of David and he says, see these words of David. They were about Jesus. The Jesus that we've been waiting for, the Messiah that we've been waiting for has come and he has been crucified and he has been resurrected. Therefore, the kingdom of God has broken in in a new and fresh way. So all y'all that have missed it, welcome. <laughs> I thought there'd be an amen there. Okay. Yes. He's saying, yes. So the question is, is this, is he saying this is happening right now? Yes. And he's bookending it with, in the last days, okay, that's the beginning. This is the beginning of the end. Well, for them, it was the beginning of the end. The question is, are we in the middle of the end or the end of the end? I don't know. Good question. Um, so he starts with, in the last days, in 17, so that starts at the cross, okay? That's the, last, the beginning of the last days. And then he says, these things are going to happen um, up until the day of the Lord coming back. And so in this in-between space, as John's been using this word, liminal space, between uh, Christ's uh, crucifixion and resurrection, all the way until the end when Christ comes back fully to bring about the new heavens and the new earth, these things are going to happen. So yes, they are, he's saying they are happening right now and they will continue to happen. And the falling of the Holy Spirit and the tongues thing, that is an indication of what's happening. 
and be prepared because there's these things are going to continue to happen. I mean, he talks about these people dreaming dreams. And then what happens? Peter, the guy who's testifying to Joel's prophecy, he's taking a nap and he sees a sheet and there's a bunch of animals. And then Cornelius is taking a nap and he has a vision. And oh my goodness, everything in the Jewish faith is broken wide open because now all these animals, oh, no way am I going to eat pig or deer or any of these things. And God says, you can now. And so we see this happening right then, and also we see it going to continue to happen throughout. And so then we move forward, and he continues to talk about uh, David and how David sees who Jesus is and sees Jesus being raised and sees Jesus being exalted. And, and, and he says, uh, again, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. And so everything is changing. And notice in 37, there is this reference to not everyone, but those, some who heard, were cut to the heart. And there is this moment of clarity and conviction have you ever had that where you're like, oh, no. It's like, remember when, when David, you know, he has had his moment with Bathsheba and he goes in and there's this whole like uh, hypothetically speaking, what shall we do to this person? And David is in essence cut to the heart because he's like, oh, wait, that's me. Um, this moment where conviction falls so heavily on the people it is a direct cut to the heart of these people that, where they say, yes, in fact, what you have just said is the truth and our lives need to be changed. But not all. Not all hear that and receive that. And they say, what shall we do? It's this moment of clarity in these Jews' lives, in these God-fearers' lives, where they say, you are in fact correct, and I need to respond. And I know it gets into this very interesting conversation, right? You know, what's happening when we talk about this coming to faith? Is it God doing it? Is it me doing it? What, what role do I play? It seems to be the case that that it's both and. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing about conviction in someone's life where they realize, yes, you're right. Everything you've said is in fact true. And what should I do about it? And I just realized something. I had to. Does it feel cold in here? It's because the heat kicked off. Lee, could you go turn the heat back on? <laughs> I was like, usually I'm sweating up here and my hands feel slightly cool. <laughs> and everyone sitting there is like, at least you're not falling asleep. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> and so what do they say? Brothers, what shall we do? Meaning we have to do something. It's not just this passive existence. And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Repent and be baptized. Does this not sound familiar? That was the call of Jesus. Repent and believe. Repent and follow this turning from. They have realized the way they've been living is not right, and they are going to turn from their past and move towards Christ. It is a direct and deliberate choice and is direct and deliberate action that is required when we come to this place of conviction. The challenge is many of the people hear this, they may come to this place of conviction, and then nothing, yes. They don't do anything. How many times do we come to this place where we say something has to change and and the Holy Spirit is pressing on us? It's like something has to change, something has to change, and we wake up the next morning, we're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And Peter says, repent. Turn from your old way of living. This is what Peter is saying. Be baptized. This immersive process. For the Jews, it is this vision of going into the water to be cleansed. Now, it's not saying that baptism brings about any sort of salvific work. It is a process of repenting and moving beyond our old selves. As we hear later, uh, this idea of being identified with Christ in his death and his resurrection, that's what baptism is. And the importance of the two going together. And one commentator, I think it was F.F. Bruce, says, No one in Scripture would understand a Christ-following, unbaptized person. Those two things are synonymous. If we have said yes to Jesus Christ, if we have repented from our old ways, repented from our old selves, and moved towards Christ, the next thing we do is get baptized. We see this. We see this with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The the eunuch says, look, there's some water. Let's go get baptized. And so we have this fascinating conversation around what is the role and importance of baptism in our lives. And we can have this extended conversation about how baptism functions, traditionally how baptism functions. And and again, if somebody believes something different (laughs) about baptism, okay, Okay, it's, it's not a salvific thing. I, I don't have to agree with it. And I don't have to convince you to agree with me. I'm reading what Scripture says, and it seems to be the case that you repent, follow Jesus, and are baptized. That seems to be how that works. And so what happens? He says, so those who received his word and it's not just this like, oh, you know, it's like you, it's like you get this gift and you're like, not really sure what I'm going to do with this. You know, you, I mean, hypothetically speaking, you get a package in the mail from somebody and you're like, 
Common Goods? I don't even think Common Goods wants this. I, thank you. I received the package, but it is really going to have no effect on my life. And I'm not talking about the present my brother sent me. It was wonderful. I loved it. I was speaking hypothetically about another package I may or may not have received. <laughs> but how often is that the case? We receive the word of God and we're like, oh, that's nice. Okay. But in this case, they received the word and were baptized. 3,000 people. Are you kidding me? Last time we had a baptism, I think we had like nine. And that's exciting. That's really exciting. We're like, woo, nine people. Yes, they want to be baptized. Can you imagine? We're at Pelican Lake in August. We got 3,000 people lined up. How amazing. People from all over the lake would be like, what is happening right now? The Holy Spirit is moving, and when the Holy Spirit moves, major, major things happen. Repentance and baptism, they go together like peanut butter and chocolate. It's just like, mmm, yes. It's like the steak and potatoes that we had for Wyatt's birthday tonight. And they, all of them, because now we've moved, I mean, you want to talk about the multiplication process. We've moved from 120 people to 3,000 in one night. We joke about if everyone in here invited somebody next week, we would have t twice as many people. That's easy math. Imagine if we went from this to 3,000 people next Wednesday night. How incredible would that be? Many of you are like, it wouldn't be. It'd be super crowded and awkward because I wouldn't even know who they were. What if we tried it? Like, well, that'd be a lot of discussion groups. I don't care. We'll figure it out. <laughs> and this group, this 3,000-some people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See Joel's prophecy. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, word of God to Galen and me, likewise, distributing to the proceeds to those who had need. I, I got a need. Um, too much? Okay, I'll stop. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were coming to faith, being saved. I mean, check this out. It's not just that they came to faith, were baptized, and then went about their normal lives. This act of coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ, repenting, being baptized, creates real and long-lasting change in their daily lives. They are not the same people that now just feel good about themselves that they're not going to go to hell anymore. These people have, been, have lives that have been changed, and so their behavior and their activity, how they spend their money, how they spend their time, who they spend their time with, what they do when they're spending their time with these new people is all different. And what did the disciples devote themselves to last week? Prayer, yes. 
It's this idea of beyond commitment, this devotion to this thing. They are devoted to understanding who Jesus is. That's what the apostles are teaching. Fellowshipping together. That's this idea of sharing life together, talking about who God is, witnessing to the things that God is doing in our lives, this intimacy that results around fellowship. It's not just showing up to a gathering and then leaving. It's being transparent with each other, sharing in these things together. They're eating together. They're praying together. They're sharing in the breaking of bread together, whether or not that's the actual act of eating or whether that's the Lord's Supper. Great question. And when that happens, what is produced? Three letters. Close. It's right in the Bible. (laughs) And awe. They are in awe. You want to talk about awesome? That is the definition. They are awestruck. Because when people come together and when lives are transformed, it is awesome. And not like in the cheap way that we've made the word awesome. They are amazed at what God is doing in and through the people that he is bringing together. And they are celebrating. They are in awe. Can you imagine what this looked like? Lives being transformed. And and it's through the process of fellowship and dedication to prayer and all of these things that awe is sweeping over the people. And what are they doing? They're still going to the temple every single day. I want us to always keep that at the forefront of our minds. These people are Jews who acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah, and they're still going and attending to the temple, and they're eating together. Where at? In their homes. I think it speaks for itself, but I'm just going to be blatantly clear. Like, no one is surprised, except people that don't know me. The body of Christ is to gather in each other's homes and eat food together and talk about who God is. This is essential, what it looks like to be the body of Christ. It doesn't, we're like, oh, my home's not big enough. These people didn't have hardly anything, and they crammed together and they fellowshiped. And what happened when this this process was going about is what? God blessed them. Day by day, more and more people said, I want what you have. And the question that constantly just bounces around in my brain is, are we doing this? And if not, why not? And if we want to live into this type of discipleship, what has to change? Okay, we got to go to our discussions. Go to your discussion groups, and we'll see you when you get back.